You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Wow, he puts a lot of pressure on me, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. How's everyone doing this morning? Amen, amen, amen. You know, it was interesting today because um, it was, I think it was my first time serving communion ever, right? Because I'm never, I'm always leading worship. And so today I didn't, I'm preaching, so I didn't lead worship. So they asked me, and there's, it was just the three of us today, so they really needed me to do it. So, um, but it was the first time, and it was very, you know, it was a blessing. It was a blessing to me because I never, I don't think I've ever done it before, have I? I, I can't remember. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm the rookie, so you know they let me, uh, they let me mess up sometimes. I guess I don't know. But uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Amen. Dear Lord, we just come before you. We just give you praise and honor. We thank you, Lord, for how good you are. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us, Lord, and that through you, Lord, we are changed, Lord. Because of you, we're never the same. We'll never be the same, Lord God. So, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your, your goodness. I thank you for uh, just who you are and what you've uh, done, Lord, for us, Lord, and for us every day. Just give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... We're reading along, right? Re- reading together. We're in 2 Corinthians uh, now as a, as a congregation. And um, today we're in 2 Corinthians 5. So that's what I'm going to share on today. I'm going to share on that, maybe a little bit of, in, well, and a little bit of Galatians and, and uh, see, what, see what the Lord has. Amen? All right, so why don't you turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse um, 11. Amen? And it should be up there, right? Yeah, it should be. Since then, we know what, is in our, it, what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you the, an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what, they, what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. It's a great, great verse. I love that. You know, if we're in our right mind, it is for you. For, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Amen. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciled, has reconciled, was reconciled the world to himself 
in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were, uh, uh, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, I, I just love that, that passage of scripture, and I'm not even going to preach on all that stuff. You know, I just wanted to read it because it's so good. But the focus of my teaching today is uh, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen? Amen. But this morning, I want to talk, about, uh, talk to you about your favorite topic. You know, anyone know what that is? Jesus? We're a thoroughly self-preoccupied culture. That's what we are. We're very preoccupied with ourselves. You know, never worry about uh, what people think about you because they seldom do. You know, 98% of the time, they're thinking about themselves. You know, the majority of people you're worried about (laughs) spend their time thinking about their own problems, you know, not the mistakes that you make unless your mistakes affect them. Right? So today I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you. So here's my question to you today. Who are you? Who are you? You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. They become new. Asking who you are is not an easy question. You know, because there's there are several yous to choose from, right? Several of them. You know, uh, there's a people who, who there, there's a you that people think you are, right? And I remember, it's, it's been about 10 years now, um, you know, there are many child stars that have fallen from, you know, you know, fallen from grace and have shocked our culture, but none in the last 10 years has been more than, you know, the whole Hannah Montana scandal. Remember that? You know, my kids were little. Our our oldest was maybe 10 at the time or something like that. And, you know, Miley Cyrus was a girl that all the moms wanted, you know, their daughter to imitate. You know, she was Disney's dream girl. She was like, you know, everything. And and, um, she loved her dad and, you know, all this stuff. And everyone thought she was a great kid. And then she shed her image. You know, she shed her image, she shed her clothes, she, her morals, and, and, and the you everyone thought she was, right? Today, her public persona is, is completely different than the Hannah Montana type that we thought she was. And still, we really don't know who she is. We really don't know who she is. Now, hopefully, none of us are, are, this morning are completely opposite in public uh, than we are in private. You know, I hope that we're not. But most people have a public persona that's different than the private, the private you. The public you is different than the private you. You know, the interesting fact is that 85 to 90 percent of public speakers are introverts. Because they speak publicly, you know, everyone thinks that they are, they're extroverts and that they're energized by having lots of people around them. You know, the most public part of, of pastoring, or in my case, you know, leading worship, is being in front of people. 
I'm in front of people every week, right? No matter, I mean, I guess every week, because if I'm not in front of people singing, I'm preaching, right? <laughs> so I'm in front of people every week, you know? And if you think about it, though, where the majority of a minister's work is done is, is in private, you know, in study, in prayer, in, in, in introverted life. You know, but I must confess that I'm more of, a, of an introvert than an extrovert, though people don't really believe that. But I am. You know, you can ask my wife, she'll tell you. But, you know, there's a lot, there's, there's also, so there's a person that everyone thinks you are. And then there's, the, 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 there's also the person that you think you are. You know, if you're a positive and confident person, you might view yourself as being smarter than everyone else. You know, if you're negative or depressed, uh, you know, you might view yourself as having more problems than other people. You know, neither one is accurate. Neither one is true. You know, we gauge our value using random standards that are external and wrong. You know, in, in essence, our self-assessments, you know, positive or negative, you know, cause us to live in a fictitious world. Now, third, there's the you that you're expected to be, right? Everyone knows that. You know, as a kid, you know, he's like, you know, act right. You know, your parents tell you you got to behave and when you're in public and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I remember my brother and I weren't so, you know, great, especially in the supermarket. We used to <laughs> drive our mother crazy. <laughs> we would take stuff and just throw stuff down the aisle to each other. And, uh, goodness, it was, it was bad. Anyway, but, um, but it's, the, you know, it's the you that you know, you're expected to be. So it shows up a lot of times in your work environments, in your school environments, and things like that. You know, you, know, you may be an emotional mess or having thousands of things going on, but when you punch in, you know, you push your emotions out of the way, you push them aside, you become professional, your professional self until it's time to go home, right? You know, we do this all the time. You know, for example, you know, the telephone rings and you're, you're having an argument with your spouse or something and you're like, oh, oh, hello, Sally. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Hey, you know, just when you're just arguing with your spouse or arguing with your kids or something like that. You know, we change our actions, our emotions, our temperaments and our outlooks to meet the expe expectations of others. Amen. And then there's a you that's just you with all your insecurities, all your desires, your talents, your personalities, etc. You know, that's the you that, that you live with every waking moment and few, that few people ever see. There's one more person, however, that, that completes this picture. You're designed, the you that's designed by God that is meant to outshine all the others. It's a you that's designed by God that's meant to outshine all the others. You know, what is God's design? What is it? You know, each of us has a body, a soul, and a spirit. You know, we're triune beings, right? Someone said we're a spirit, then we have a, a soul, and we live in the body. Like, your soul is your personality, your drives, your emotions, your, mo your motivations, your emotions, things like that. You know, your spirit is, is deadened before you enter a relationship with God. Ephesians 2 tells us that, you know, before we invite Christ into your life, um, in your heart, you know, that spirit is dead or inactive. That's what it says. And, and when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, 
to become Lord and Savior, the spirit part of you is made alive. This, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, the new has begun. That's what that means. So what happens at salvation? Take you way back. Take you back to the beginning. You know, what happens at salvation? You're still you, right? Your memories don't disappear. Your past doesn't disappear. Your personality does not disappear. You know, but your, but your life changes. Your life changes. In essence, there's a new sheriff in town, basically. And you're a new person. That, but what does that mean? You know, God is also a spirit. God and your spirit become allies, basically, friends. And Paul identifies this reality as, you know, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He lives inside your spirit. Kind of difficult to put in words, I guess, but, you know, this new compartment in you is where God is, is you and God hang out. You know, this, is, this, is, uh, this, this new part of you is hungry, craving even. You know, when you become born again, you know, this, this spirit is like a new baby, right? Always hungry, but not necessarily for physical food. You know, your, your spirit is hungry for the words of God. You know, last night, you know, we were <laughs> awoken because we were taking care of uh, Torin and Kateri this week. And because uh, it rushes our way and Torin just woke up last night and he started crying and crying. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? But, uh, but he went back to sleep eventually because he got food. He, Maria gave him a bottle and, you know, he was fine. But just like that, our spirit is hungry for the word of, words of God. Amen? Your spirit is hungry for worship. It's, it's hungry to worship. It's craving prayer and spending, spending time alone with God. Your spirit is hungry to have, you know, regular fellowship with other Christians, other believers. You know, if you feed and care for this inner man, it's your spirit, then you get, you know, strong in God. Amen? If you ignore the hunger, your spirit becomes weaker and weaker, much like a baby. You know, I know Christians who were born again, you know, 30 years ago, and, you know, but they're not strong in God at all. They're not strong in Christ at all. You know, they focus on pleasing themselves and following their own dreams and desires and have little regard for the things of God. You now, Paul describes this living as this is satisfying your flesh. What happens to, the, what happens to these Christians? You know, they, they put aside the feeding of the spiritual man and feed their physical or emotional appetites instead. You know, I've, I've known Christ for several decades now. Still read my Bible every day, still spend time in prayer, you know, still fellowship with other believers. I need these practices. I need to do this, you know, as a believer in Christ. You know, if, if you're going to be strong in Christ, these daily disciplines never go away. They never go away. You know, I don't, want, I don't want a malnourished spirit. Amen? I don't want you to have a malnourished spirit either. Amen? So who is the real you? Who is the real you? You know, you find out who you really are by reading and hearing the Word of God and then applying it to your life. What might that look like? Well, here's a few examples, right? You know, Romans 3 says, you know, that we're justified freely by His grace. Now, you're totally free from the weight of sin, guilt, and fear of death that, that once governed our every waking thought. 
You know, Christ set you free. Amen? He set you free. You know, but what does that really mean? Well, we'll get to that a little bit later. But, you know, I need to use, uh, uh, we need to use our, our own mouths to proclaim not what we feel, but what the scriptures affirm. Because we might feel any, any certain kind of way at any time. But we need to, we need to say what the, what the Spirit, I mean, what, the, what the Word says. We need to, what the Scriptures affirm. Amen? You know, Romans 8 says that we're not condemned because Jesus Christ set us free from the law of sin and death. Amen. You know, no matter what we've done, God made us a new creature. To the best of our ability, you know, we need to make things right with people. But beyond that, God loves you. He loves you. You're loved. You're, you're loved. You know, he forgives you and has great things planned for your life. He does. You know, Romans 12 says that, that we're one body. Now, we discover our identity by connecting with other believers regularly. Last week, we were at Abundant Life, and we were just having a great time with them and just worshiping the Lord and hearing the teaching. And it was, it was awesome just being together with other, other believers. You know, God's gift, God gifts his church with resources designed to help us grow in faith. You know, we need each other, which, which is why Paul tells us to commit ourselves to meeting together regularly. That's what he says. That's what the Word says. You know, 1 Corinthians, 12, 1 Corinthians 2 says, you know, that we have the mind of Christ. Romans 12 tells us that we need to renew our minds. Now, Philippians 4 says that it teaches us to, to order our thinking, you know, after, God, after the thinking of God, after the things of God. That's what we need to do. Set our minds and hearts and things on things of God. We must begin to take responsibility for what we allow our minds and our minds and our hearts and, and things we watch and, and, and read and engage in. We need to do all that. Galatians 3 says that those who are baptized— you know, have closed, we have closed ourselves, clothed ourselves in Christ. Water baptism means we die to engaging in sinful behaviors. Ephesians 1, you know, says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In him we have also received an inheritance all the promises of, of Scripture belong to us. That's what the Word says. That's who you are. Ephesians 3 says that, you know, in Him we can approach God with freedom and confidence, no matter how bad we've messed up. We had a God who, we have a God that wants us running to Him whenever we can. All the time, we need to be running towards Him. Colossians 2 says that, um, that we need, to, we need to be overflowing with thankfulness. Thanksgiving is the fastest way to get back to, to, into the conscious presence of God. You know, if you feel like you're, you're far away from God, you know, begin to thank him. Begin to thank him for everything that he's done for you. He does a lot for you. He does a lot for all of us. Me personally, I can, I can't, yeah, you know, I can go on and on. But, you know, but, he, but it also says that we have been brought to fullness in Christ. You've been brought to fullness in Christ. That means that anything and everything you need is in him. Anything and everything you need is in Christ. He's our identity, our victory, our right standing, 
He is the I am, as in I am your supply. I am your doctor. I am your comforter. I am your banner. I am your shepherd, and so on and so on. That's who he is. This is the you that God made you to be, right? You're not destined to live in defeat and, and disappointment and discouragement and defiance and captivity. You know, you're not what the world says you are. The Bible says that we have Christ in us, that he is our everything. Amen? He is, he is, we are bold because of him. We have an inheritance because of him. We have a renewed mind because of him. We are not condemned. We're, we are justified, and we are free. We are free. Free, that's, that's who you are in Christ. You know, there's a lot of talk about that word, freedom. There's a lot of talk about that word. You know, there's a commercial for, I think, is um, uh, TurboTax or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but, but it's about, it talks about their product, and then at the end it says, free, 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 right? You remember that? You probably heard that commercial or seen that commercial or whatever. But there's something awesome about that word, amen? You know, we talk about it because we want it. We want it. We fight for it. You know, we crave it. But what is true freedom? You know, Jesus claims to offer it, right? He claims to offer it. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Indeed means for real, right? It means for real. No fake stuff, no fillers, 100%, you know, unwatered down freedom. But what is it? What is it? Is true freedom being able to eat ice cream whenever you want? Some people might say yes, you know. <laughs> is true freedom, you know, the absence, absence of all rules? You know, is freedom defined by our rights to, to, for our pursuit of happiness? You know, is true freedom related to our finances? You know, free from creditors, right? That's what we, people talk about that all the time. There's so many ways that we can define freedom, and many of them, you know, do point to a certain kind of freedom. But I want you to know the freedom that you possess that, that sets you free regardless of your circumstances in life. You know, it, supersi- it supersedes you know, what the government is doing for you or not doing or whatever. You know, it goes over the heads of dictators and kings. True freedom is only gained through Jesus Christ. And that's what we've gained by being new, crea- new creations. You know, at the men's meeting, um, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. And now, in fruit of, the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians, Galatians 5. And uh, a few, when we started uh, studying, I, I started reading Galatians 5. Just to, I was reading Galatians 5, just, you know, everything about it. But, you know, Galatians 5, you know, is a fight for our freedom. That's what it is. You know, in verse 1, of, of, you know, is our rallying cry, basically. You know, it says in verse 1 of Galatians 5, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's great. You know, it's like, you know, Braveheart or something, you know. You know, the freedom that Paul is, is fighting for is freedom from the law, Right? Or more accurately, freedom from being justified by the law. 
You know, a lot of times Christians ask the question, can we do this or can we do that? Can we watch that movie? Can we see that show? Can we listen to that song or do that dance? You know, uh, uh, or do we have to fast, tithe, observe the holy days or, or, or take communion and so on and so on? But we, we've been asking the wrong question. Now, in Galatia, the big question was circumcision. Do Christians have to be circumcised to be saved? But it's not about circumcision. You know, in verse, in verse 4 is the key, basically. And it says that, you know, it says, you who be justified by the law. You know, in other words, it's, you know, about any work that you have to do or rule that you have to follow to be right with God. You know, so circumcision is about any have-to that's in your life. It's any have-to that's in your life. So verse 2 says, you know, mark my words. You know, Paul, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to uh, every man who sets himself to be, uh, lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So if you accept one have-to, you need to accept them all right? No, no picking and choosing and, and what you want or anything like that. You know, if it's, a, if it's about the rules, it's about the rules. And it's, and, and it's all on you. Jesus will not help. But in verse 4 it says, in verse 4 it says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from, Christ, from grace. So you say, okay, Paul, so give it to us straight. What is it? Do we have to or not? Is it circumcision or whatever your have to is? Is it yes or no? You know, in verse 6, goes, he goes on, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So the answer is neither. Neither. To whatever your do I have to do this to be saved? No question. You know, Christians argue uh, over this, for, has argued over this for years, and Paul says neither. Neither choice matters, neither counts. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that matters is, you know, uh, and it's not a faith that, uh, and works, it's a faith that works. Amen? It's genuine faith in a loving God works his way out of you through love. It works his way out of you through love. In verse 13, he, go, he goes on, he says, For you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So there we have a balance. You're free, but your freedom is not for your flesh. It's not for you. The you, you, right? All right. So you're free to love. And it's essential because without it, freedom is dangerous. You know, because free, free for flesh, and you're, if you're free for flesh, then you're worse off than, than, than you were when you started. Right? You're worse off. But freedom to, be, to love is different. Because in verse 14, in Galatians 5, 14, it says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Just love. 
That's what the law demands anyway, right? So freedom from rules is good, but don't indulge the flesh. But how do you, you know, stop the flesh without rules, right? So verse 16, it goes, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So pay attention. This is how it works, right? Walk by the Spirit. Think of it this way. You know, to lose weight, right? I need to lose weight. I'm working on it. Been working on it for too long now, it seems like. <laughs> but, you know, to lose weight, is it better to change what you eat or to change what you crave? No, both will help you lose weight, right? But, you know, only one won't make you cranky. Won't make you, like, upset all the time or hangry or whatever the, word, the new word is now, you know. What if I told you that you have two crave centers for food? One likes junk food and the other healthy food, you know, and you can just switch from one to the other. That'd be great, right? Well, I don't know if that really works for food, but it does work spiritually. It does work spiritually. Your flesh and your spirit are both crave centers, right? They both desire. Walk by the spirit means switch from your crave, switch your crave center from flesh to spirit. Not your spirit, the Holy Spirit. Let him lead. You know, in verse, seven, in, chapter, in verse 17, it says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the, uh, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's how you keep from sin. No rules to, to, to bind us. Just to let the Spirit lead you. Now here's another way to look at it. And I, I found this, uh, well, I heard this analogy years ago, and hopefully I do it justice, but give me a second. So, let's just say that this guitar, my guitar, is my life, right? And my life is free, like no rules, Nothing like that. I can play whatever I want with my life, with this life. I can play whatever I want. And I'm going to play a little song for you, right? I'm free to do what I want in the old time. Yeah, yes, yes, I'm free, yes. So what do you think? Right? <laughs> There's one problem, right? No, it wasn't out of tune. I wasn't playing any, any chords or anything like that. But there's one problem with, the, with my freedom. I never learned the chords, right? For this little guitar called life. Never learned the chords. Never learned the rules of how it works. You see, some rules are good. Without rules, I have no freedom to play real music. Anarchy is not freedom. It's not freedom. For most of us, life is, is a guitar that God gives us, that God gave us. God gave us a guitar. Only we didn't know how to play it, so we smashed it to bits for fun. That's your flesh put in charge of your life. 
So God paid for some lessons. That's the law. Boring, but essential. Has anyone had, ever had music lessons? I have never had a music lesson in my life, I don't think. Maybe I have. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I haven't. But yeah, but if you have music lessons, they're boring. Or any kind of lesson, you think they're boring, you know, but they're essential. God told me how to play. How life works as it was meant to work. The rules and discipline helps me to understand the basics, right? But if you want to make real music, you have to grow past the rules and disciplines and play from your heart. And you need a new guitar because you smash it to bits. So Jesus gave his life to put a new guitar in my hands. And he gave me his spirit to put chords in my heart. The rules are basically the same, but it's not a diagram of, of, of what strings to hold down anymore. It's playing from the heart. That's our new covenant. The Spirit lets his, lets his rules in our, sets his rules in our minds and in our hearts. And you're free to create new rhythms and new styles and, 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 and be led by the Spirit. But don't use that freedom to go back to, to guitar smashing. You can't, you can't use it to go back to guitar, to guitar smashing. That new, that new guitar, that guitar is your new life, right? Jesus paid for it with his own blood. So Paul explains what, gar, what, what guitar smashing looks like in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now these are not a new list of, of laws or new lists of things. You know, it's a crave list for the flesh. Anyone who lives for these things are living in the flesh. They may call their sexual immorality freedom in Christ, but they're not in Christ at all. They're not in Christ at all. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, envy, junk, drunkenness, and the like are all flesh no matter what they claim, no matter what they claim about their faith. Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Then Paul lists the desires for your, for, for your other, other crave center. He lists the desires for your other crave center, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit means natural result, not working for it. No striving by rules or, or bound up by burdens. Just a branch on the vine naturally producing fruit. And Paul goes on in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our passage today is pretty clear. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. 
the new is here. You. Do you want to know the real you in Christ? You're a new creation. You're transformed. When you walk with him, you will continually uh, become more and more like Christ. In your attitudes, in your, in, your, in your passion, in your priorities, in your speech, in your thoughts, your, in your love for people, your burden for the lost, in every area that's important to God, it will become important to you. Being like Christ is God's will for your life. You know, that's it. Ultimately, God's, you know, will for us is to love him and love each other and love others like Christ does. And I said does, not did. Because Christ lives today, amen? Christ lives in you. And it's you that must be, must be his witness. It's you that must, you know, show others his love his compassion, his holiness. So Carl, you ask, what does that mean for me today? You know, I'm glad you asked, right? I'm glad you asked. It means that our attitudes and our motivations won't be self-centered. They'll be Christ-centered. The transforming power God, of God will touch every area of your life. It will transform your family's life. It will, as a family, your, your, your priorities will change. You know, men, you know, uh, with Christ as the center of your life and calling the shots, you know, you will lead your families. You provide for your family as a spiritual leader. As a, you provide for them financially. You will uh, be there emotionally. In other words, you will be willing to pour yourself out for your family's sake. Your wife, your children um, are your number one responsibility. And we need to, to not neglect them. You know, because if we do, we're missing it. You know, ladies, you know, God's transforming power will enable you to, to be the woman that God created you to be. Women of grace and strength. You know, God will help you in every way if you follow his lead. God's transforming power will help you um, uh, in every way. You know, it, it, it can... His power can, can heal brokenness in a, in a marriage and in relationships. You know, God's transforming power can give grace and wholeness to, you, to, to single parents. God wants to, to lift you up. So embrace the power that God has for you as you deal, deal with your circumstances. God's presence, God's grace is sufficient for us. Amen? You know, the New Testament is full of, of many, 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 many precious promises. God has promised things that will change in your life, you know, if you will begin to apply what he has said about you to your life. You know, instead of speaking and believing the lies you, that you or someone else has, spoke, has told you, told yourself for years. When we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, when we have given God total access to our life, he sanctifies you through and through. He sets you apart to be used for his glory. And his transforming power is unleashed through you. It's unleashed through you. Is this your experience? Is this your experience today? It can be. It can be. 
It's God's greatest gift. You know, just need to give him you by faith. Trust in him. You won't be sorry you did. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for who you created us to be. That in you, Lord, we are new creatures. Lord. We are a new creation. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would um, continue to draw us to yourself. Continue to make us um, like you. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that we would take the words, Lord, that, that, we, that we hear, Lord, and we read, Lord, in your word. And we apply them to our lives. Lord, that we would um, see what you call us how you describe us, how you um, uh, have called us to be, Lord, and not what the world says. We will walk in what you, taught, what you said about us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.